good morning, Chapel Hill. Uh, if you don't know me, my name's Ellis, and I'm a pastoral intern here, and I get the privilege of preaching on International Associate Pastor Sunday. Um, it's kind of an upgrade, because I'm only an intern, but... Um, I, uh, when I was in college, I majored in math, and I, I love movies that have math in the plot line. There are some really terrible ones, but there are some good ones too. And one of the best is a movie called Goodwill Hunting. Now, if you haven't seen it, before you go out and watch it on Netflix or rent it from Redbox, it has some, has some coarse language in it, so beware. But I think it has a fantastic story about a young man called Will Hunting. He uh, grew up, he's played by Matt Damon in the movie. He grew up in an impoverished South Boston neighborhood, and he worked as a janitor at MIT. But here's the kind of twist in the story. Will is a total genius, and he gets discovered by this math professor at MIT when he solves a graduate-level math problem that this professor had left on a chalkboard in one of the hallways that he was cleaning. And the thing thing about Will is he's not even just a genius at math. He, He knows so much about economics and history and art and, and literature. He, he, his mind is incredible. But Will has a, has a problem. He, he, can't, he doesn't have the ability to allow people to love him. So what this means for his life is he has a ton of knowledge, but he never really gets to know anything or anyone. He never really opens himself up in that way. He has knowledge, but he doesn't know. And this is really brought home to him in a a scene that we're going to watch, where his court-assigned psychologist, who's played by Robin Williams, talks to him about this difference between knowledge and knowing. I thought about what you said to me the other day, about my painting. Uh, I stayed up half the night thinking about it. Something occurred to me. I fell into a deep, peaceful sleep. And I haven't thought about you since. You know what occurred to me? No. You're just a kid. You don't have the faintest idea what you're talking about. Why, thank you. It's all right. You've never been out of Boston. Nope. So if I asked you about art, you'd probably give me the skinny on every art book ever written. Michelangelo. I know a lot about him. Life's work political aspirations, him and the Pope, sexual orientation, the whole works, right? I bet you can't tell me what it smells like in the Sistine Chapel. You've never actually stood there and looked up at that beautiful ceiling. Seen that. If I ask you about women, you'd probably give me a syllabus of your personal favorites. You may have even been laid a few times. But you can't tell me what it feels like to wake up next to a woman and feel truly happy. You're a tough kid. When I ask you about war, you'd probably uh, throw Shakespeare at me, right? Once more into the breach, dear friends. You've never been near one. You've never held your best friend's head in your lap and watched him gasp his last breath looking to you for help. 
ask you about love, probably quote me a sonnet. But you've never looked at a woman and been totally vulnerable. Known someone that could level you with her eyes. Feeling like God put an angel on earth just for you. Who could rescue you from the depths of hell. And you wouldn't know what it's like to be her angel. To have that love for her be there forever. Through anything. Through cancer. And you wouldn't know about sleeping, sitting up in a hospital room for two months, holding her hand. Because the doctors could see in your eyes that the terms visiting hours don't apply to you. There's a difference between knowledge about something and knowing something. There's a difference between knowledge about a person and knowing a person. It, it can be really easy, though, to confuse those two things. We, we think that we know celebrities because we follow them on Twitter or, or read about them in a magazine. We, we know what they ate for lunch or what they're reading, but we don't know what their deepest struggles are. We think we, we know our friends because we know their favorite TV show or we know where they grew up, but we don't know their hopes and dreams or the source of their greatest pain. And sometimes we think we know Jesus because we can quote scripture and explain doctrine, but we don't know how he is weeping for this broken world and how deep and wide his love for you is. Knowledge and knowing. This morning we're going to read about two groups of people, the people of Jerusalem and the Magi or, or, or the wise man. Each of them has knowledge of Jesus. They know about the Christ, but what they do with this knowledge sets them apart. So open your Bibles with me to the book of Matthew, chapter 2. If you've got a pew Bible in front of you, it's on page 813. And we're going to read together from the first verse of Matthew, chapter 2, 813 in your pew Bibles. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied. For this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. This is the word of the Lord. 
Let's pray together. Father, I pray that this morning you would speak to us through your word. Would you uh, take the blinders off of our eyes? Would you unstop our ears? Would, would your, your word come to life in our lives? Would we, would we come to encounter Jesus this morning? Would we come to know Jesus this morning in a deeper, more intimate way? And would we, would we be transformed as a result to conform more and more to the likeness of your son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray? Amen. Well, throughout Advent and Christmas, we've been asking the same question, what do you want for Christmas? Now, I I don't know if I necessarily wanted it, but I got this fantastic tie, and I want to show it off. Um, I wonder what what you all got for Christmas, whether whether it was what you wanted. Well, this morning, we asked this question of the wise men or the magi. These guys, uh, we're not actually sure how many there are, because it doesn't say, but there were three gifts. So maybe there were three men. These, these, these magi, these wise men, were pagan astrologers from a land east of Israel. Probably somewhere in modern-day Iraq. Or Iraq, I think as you say. They believed everyone's destiny was in the stars. And they had just seen some new star appear in the sky. So they got out their scrolls of prophecy, consulted them. And they believed that this star foretold the birth of a king, a new king. A king of the Jewish people. Fascinating piece of knowledge to have, right? There's going to be a new king born some 800 miles away to the Jews. So what do they do? Well, they do what I'm sure every one of us would do, right? Pack up your bags, travel seven weeks to go to Jerusalem, the city where the king of the Jews lived, in order to go and pay homage to this new king based upon a star and a prophecy. Now, that might sound weird to us, but actually this wasn't uncommon for rich and noble men such as these to do when a new king was born. They would come and pay homage to a new king. But but what's the most surprising thing about this is that when they turn up in Jerusalem seven weeks later, they start wandering around the city asking people, going, uh, where's where's this newborn king of the Jews? Where's where's he at? We we saw his star. Where is he? And and everyone goes, what are you talking about? What, what, what newborn king of the Jews? We haven't heard about any newborn king of the Jews. There's no, there's no new king. Now think about this. If a king had been born, people would know, right? Prince George, the, the, little, the little baby that you saw the cute pictures of, who's the, the future king of England, he was born 18 months ago, and everyone knew about that. They were lining up outside the hospital for weeks trying to get a photo of him. So it's kind of surprising that people don't know about this new king. But there's more to it than this. Think about it from Herod's perspective, right? Herod, he's the current king of the Jews. And he knows he hasn't just had a baby. Or at least he's hoping he hasn't just had a baby. Wise men travel for seven weeks based upon a star to come and see this newborn king of the Jews. And verse 3 in our passage tells us how Herod feels. It says, Herod was disturbed. Well, why? Well, Herod has some extra information that the wise men don't even have. He, he knows that there's this prophecy about this, this person called the Christ or the Messiah. This person would be a king sent by God who would come and rescue his people. Herod, Herod has knowledge about this Christ, this coming king, and he knows that when the Christ comes, it will be game over for whoever is king at that time. 
And he's not the only one who knows this. All the people in Jerusalem know this too, and they're disturbed along with him. They're unsettled because they know that if the Christ has come, it means change. They're happy with knowledge about the Christ, but they don't want to know the Christ. I was brought up going to church, but my family stopped attending church in my teenage years, and um, that didn't mean I completely disengaged with the faith. I, I went to a school where we had a chaplain who would run lunchtime events seeking to, to share the good news about Jesus with um, the, the boys in the school that I went to. I went to an all-boys school. And um, I used to go along to these all the time. There would be a time where they would share about Jesus. They would uh, allow you to ask any questions you wanted. And, and most importantly, they gave out free food. Um, and, uh, and here's the thing. You know, I, I, went, I went all the time, and I, and I could have told you word for word what the, what the gospel was, what the good news about Jesus was, how he died on the cross to forgive my sins. I could have explained that to you. I had all this knowledge about Jesus, but I didn't want to know Jesus. Because I, I knew that if, if I got to know Jesus, it would mean I'd have to change my life, that things would look different, that I would have to quit partying and drinking and chasing after girls. And so for me at that point in my life, I, I was just, I was happy with just, with knowledge of Jesus. I was just like the people of Jerusalem. They had knowledge of, of this Christ, this coming king. They even had a prophecy of where he was to be born, not in Jerusalem, but in Bethlehem. But they didn't want to know him. The wise men traveled 800 miles based upon a star to come and see this newborn king. But the people of Jerusalem wouldn't even travel six miles. Six miles, that's two hours of walking to see this newborn king who'd been prophesied about in their own scriptures. The people of God, the people of Jerusalem have been waiting hundreds and hundreds of years for this Christ, this coming rescuer who's going to overthrow the powers of oppression, set free the captives, and rule and reign over the kingdom of Israel once again, just like in the days of David and Solomon. But they won't even travel six miles, just in case he's arrived. Now, perhaps... Even the wise men at this point in the story were a little bit worried. I mean, I mean, think about it. They've traveled seven weeks, 800 miles, based upon a star to find this newborn king of the Jews. But when they get there, no one knows anything about him. Herod suggests to them, probably in a very kind of subtle, sly sort of way, that my sources indicate he might be born in Bethlehem. But Herod isn't going to go. And and neither are any of the people in Jerusalem. Not only that, but verse 10 seems to suggest that the star had disappeared. These wise men were probably at at the point of just totally giving up, like a 49ers fan. Or maybe more, more, more seriously, like a parent who's almost given up on their child succeeding. They've tried and tried and tried to help them, but nothing seems to work. They've almost got to the point of believing this kid is destined to fail. 
Our wise men were right at that point of giving up. When verse 10 says, the star appeared again. And they were overjoyed. Now, overjoyed here is perhaps a little understated by the translators. I might say this is kind of the British version. They were overjoyed, you know, stiff up a lip and all. In reality, if it, you know, it was really an American version, it would say, it would say what, the, what the original really said, which was they were joyful, with joy, to a great extent, exceedingly. <laughs> it's, a bit, it's a bit like this. Here's, here's a video of a teenager whose dad had almost given up on him ever succeeding in life because he was doing so badly academically. A year earlier, the father had told his son that if he didn't get a pass in math, which he was totally failing at, that he would never be able to get a decent job in his life. Well, here's the moment the son tells the father the good news that he passed. Is that real? Yeah. Is that real? My God! That's what the wise men were like, rejoicing exceedingly with great joy. No, they were not content with with knowledge of this new king. They weren't content with just seeing his star. They weren't content with just knowing where he would probably be born. No, they weren't like Herod and the people of Jerusalem. These wise men were exploding with joy because the star to them was the confirmation that they would indeed meet this newborn king, that he was going to be in Bethlehem, that they would come to know him. Now that's sort of, of pushing through in, in desperation to know Jesus reminds me of a, of a dear older lady in this church named Robin. I first got to know Robin through our Christianity Explored class. She came because she didn't believe in Jesus, but she had a lot of questions about him. Robin is, is one of the most intelligent women I've ever met, one of the most, most intelligent people I've ever met. And she has a mind that is so sharp. She had more questions about Jesus and, and Christianity and, uh, and the Bible and, and faith than anyone else that I've ever met. She tells me that this came from her background. She was a, a physics major at Wellesley College and she was taught to ask questions like, how did this get to be? Or, or how, how did these laws develop? But I believe that behind that, at a deeper level, there was this desperation to know Jesus. She, she may not quite have believed in him, but she was desperate to know him. She was totally relentless, in fact. Not only was she coming on Sunday mornings to our worship services, but she was going on Tuesday mornings to Women's Life. And then she came to not one, but two Christianity Explored classes because she had so many questions. And then after that, she still wasn't done. She came to a membership class because she wanted to find out more about Chapel Hill. She just kept seeking and seeking and seeking. And throughout that process, she maintained her integrity. In fact, when it came to the end of the membership class and we, and we gave people the option to join, she, she chose not to join the church at that point because she didn't feel she could faithfully commit her life to Jesus. 
and write that down on a piece of paper. However, Robin didn't give up seeking when she chose not to join the church. And what, what happened next was what changed everything. For a long time, she'd been trying very hard to forgive someone for something very painful. Consistently, she was unsuccessful, despite even praying to this Jesus who she was asking these questions about to help her. But then one day, as she describes it, she was praying again and experienced something that she describes as as being in Jesus' presence. She felt a, a warmth all over her torso. And then this deep sense of joy welling up from inside of her. And then relief. She said it was like, like the rain. It just came down upon her. And from that moment on, she no longer had any feeling of a need to forgive this person. Robin was not merely content with knowledge about Jesus. She wanted to know Jesus. And Jesus made himself known to her in a very real and tangible way. And Robin was left feeling just like the wise man, overjoyed. And neither she nor the wise man stopped there. The wise man went on to Bethlehem and met the newborn king themselves. Verse 11 says, They bowed down and worshipped him, and opened their treasures and presented him with gifts. And Robin, after, after this moment, when she was overcome with joy, said she could not resist Jesus anymore. She had to commit her life to him. And so, just like the wise men, she worshipped Jesus as her king. She bowed down her life to his kingship. She opened up her heart so Jesus could be her treasure. And she offered her gifts of service to him. Our passage concludes by by telling us that the the wise men returned to their country by another route. The wise men, they didn't didn't leave this encounter in the same way that they arrived. And anyone who knows Robin knows that she is a different person now than she was before. She left that encounter with Jesus by a different route. And the person who knows this best is the one that she was trying all that time to forgive. They sensed such a change in Robin that they immediately knew that she had forgiven them. You see, when we are not not content with knowledge of Jesus, but pursue knowing Jesus, we are transformed. We become different people because knowing Jesus changes everything. What did the wise men want for Christmas? The Christ. Where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? They didn't just want knowledge of him. Knowledge of his birth, knowledge of his stars, knowledge of the prophecies about him. They wanted to meet him. They wanted to know him. And so I want to boldly ask us this morning this question. Are we satisfied with knowledge of Jesus or do we want to know him? I've reflected on, on this in, in my life, and, and there have been times where I've been satisfied with knowledge of Jesus. I spoke about one of them earlier when I was a teenager. I was satisfied with being able to articulate how Jesus died on a cross, but I didn't want to know him. 
There was another time in my life that, that I reflected upon when, when I spent a year studying apologetics, which is learning how to answer difficult questions about Christianity. During that time, we, we pursued studying the Bible in, in a very intense way, and we studied philosophy, and we studied God and, and theology and all these things. But sadly, the sort of, the sort of Bible study that you, that you go through provides you with a lot of knowledge about Jesus, a lot of knowledge about God without really getting to know him. I knew how to answer people's questions about, about suffering, how God could allow suffering, but I didn't know what it meant for Jesus to be with me in my suffering or with you in your suffering. I knew how to defend the miracles of Jesus. I knew how to explain how that could be possible in a universe where the laws of physics and nature could be broken. But I didn't really know what a miracle it was for Jesus to be alive in me. You see, the way that we so often study the Bible is to come to it and ask a bunch of questions about the historical context, about the original Greek, about what this word means, about what that word means, about the cross-references. And we develop and gain and, and pick up all this knowledge of Scripture. But we never really get to know the author, the Word of God himself, the Christ. That's even something I struggle with to this day as I'm pursuing seminary studies, distance learning, online, consistently I'm spending time developing and gaining knowledge. But I have to work hard not to let that puff me up. To seek and pursue intimacy with Jesus, to pursue knowing him. I'm really excited that uh, in this new year we're going to be doing something together as a church which we're calling the 90-day challenge. We're going to be taking one chapter of, of a gospel every day and reading it individually as a church and then preaching through it on Sunday mornings. The 90-day challenge. In 90 days, we'll have read all of the gospels, all of the four accounts of Jesus' life. And I'm excited because this is a chance for every single one of us to get to know Jesus, to focus on him, to know his love for us, to know his love for the world, to know his desires to see his kingdom come. Pastor Mark's going to be sharing more with you about that next week, but I'd love you to consider, begin preparing, thinking about how it is that you could spend time each day reading a chapter from the Gospels. And I thought about some other times in my life when I've confused knowledge about Jesus with knowing Jesus. And, and, and another time when, when, that's, when that's been apparent is, is when I've confused knowledge about Jesus' body with knowing Jesus' body. Now, the, the Bible calls the church the body of Christ, Jesus' body. And there have been times in my life where I've been content with kind of being on the outside of Jesus' body, just getting to know about them, having knowledge of them, but not really entering in and knowing them. When I started at college, for the whole of the first semester, I, uh, I attended a, a new church. It was a, a new city, a new place I was living, and I went along to this church. It was, it was a big church, about the size of this church. And I, I hated turning up early to the services because there was this really awkward 
kind of moment where you had to stand around and you didn't know anyone. And, and so I would, I would try and turn up late. And if I did turn up early because I was afraid of the awkwardness, I, sometimes I'd just go and use the bathroom. Just, just to, I don't know if you guys have ever done this. But just, just to kill the time in order to avoid the awkwardness. So I, was, I was just on the outside. I didn't want to dive in. I wasn't prepared to really put myself out there. I was, I was content with knowledge about Jesus' body. I didn't really want to know Jesus' body. And God challenged me over this. He, um, he challenged me to dive in deeper, to get to know Jesus' body. And it required some changes in my life. I had to change some things in my life in order to create the margin to be able to do this. And so I had to go to my rugby coach. I played a lot of rugby when I was at college. And he was a real intimidating guy. And I had to say to him, hey, I, I need to step back a little bit so that I can engage more with my church. And, um, and he wasn't so happy about this. In fact, the advice he gave me was, um, it would be better for you to annoy the Christians than it would for you to annoy me. And, and I said to him, why? And, and he said, well, Christians always forgive you. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad that was his experience of Christians. So good job, church. Um, but he did. He did let me step back for a little while. He did allow me to engage. And I got stuck in. I joined a small group. I got to know people in that small community. I got to share life with them. I allowed them into my life. I got involved in the college ministry. I started serving. I got stuck into the church. And, and as I got to know Jesus' body, rather than just knowing about or having knowledge of, I experienced transformation in my life. I experienced the joy and the love and the peace and contentment that can be found when you live in community. It's so easy to confuse knowledge about something with knowing something. It's so easy to confuse knowledge about Jesus with knowing Jesus. And so I want to ask you, where are you today? Are you content with knowledge of Jesus? Or do you want to know Jesus? Are you willing to open up the treasure of your heart to him? Are you willing to lay down your life before him like the wise man? So that you might know him and that he might transform you. So that he might bring you joy. So that you might rejoice exceedingly with great joy. Don't you want that? I know I do. Let's pray. Father, there are so many of us gathered here this morning coming from so many different places in life. But you know each and every one of us. You know us more intimately than anyone else. You know our deepest desires. You know our greatest fears. You know our most painful hurts. God, you know us. And God, this morning, there are people in this place, myself included, who want to say, we are not content with just knowing about you. We are not content with just knowing about who Jesus is, knowing about how Jesus made disciples, knowing about the word of God, knowing how to quote scripture and and knowing about doctrine, knowing about Jesus' body. We are not content with this knowledge. God, we want to know you. We want to know what it means for God to be with us 
for God to dwell in our midst, for the Holy Spirit to be living inside us. We want to know the miracle of new birth. God, we want to know you. Jesus, we want to know you. And so this morning, I pray that you would give us the strength and power to take the decisions, make the decisions, take the actions, take the steps that it will require for us to get to know you, to go beyond knowledge of you and get to know you. Jesus, as this new year approaches, I pray that you would be speaking to us by your spirit, helping us to know what it is that we can start anew, do differently in this new year to pursue knowing you in a deeper, more intimate way. And Jesus, I thank you that as we do that, you will indeed transform us. That we will experience joy exploding out of us. That we will experience your presence like Robin did. That we will experience your transformation to become more and more like your son, Jesus. God, thank you that you are faithful. That if we seek you, you will reveal yourself to us. And I ask that as we seek you in this new year, that you would indeed remain faithful to your promise. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.